So I hope I can serve you well by teaching through Acts chapter 10 today uh, and even into 11. So today we have uh, a lengthy amount of, of a narrative today. A narrative meaning it's a long, long story in that it's a long scene. If When you watch a one-act play or a movie and there's just that long, long scene, but you know that there's so much packed in it, this is one of those scenes in the book of Acts. Because what we've been talking about over the last three months is the bridging of the gospel from the Jews to the Gentiles, and that including the Samaritans. So what we saw with the Jews initially with the Holy Spirit falling in Acts chapter 2, we saw the gospel breaking down language, ethnic, and social barriers just between Jews. And then what we saw in Acts chapter 8, the gospel breaking down the same language and ethnic and social barriers between Jews and Samaritans. See, the Jewish church in Jerusalem was wondering, how are we going to relate to these people that we don't associate with, that we've never associated with for about 800, 900, almost 1,000 years? And then the gospel destroyed all those barriers for them and gave them the solution. It's just in Jesus Christ that we are one and the Holy Spirit fell. And now what we're about to experience is the gospel breaking down the language, ethnic, and social barriers between Jews and Gentiles finally. So let's look at Acts chapter 10. And so today as we look at the scriptures and this narrative, what I want you to see, the main idea, really is in Acts 1043. The main idea is that everyone who believes in him, meaning Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The main idea today is that everyone, every language, tribe, tongue, nation, anybody, man, woman, girl, boy, who believes in him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's a promise. And that's a hope for us. So let's look at Acts 10. And so what we do is we do uh, expository where we just read and then comment, read, comment, and then we learn together. And so in Acts 10 it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. In verse 2 it says, The devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Okay, so remember the last scene we had at Caesarea is Saul was sent to Caesarea to be sent off to Tarsus for about 78 years. And so that's the last time we heard Caesarea mentioned. But here what we, what we see is Cornelius a centurion uh, who was a devout man feared God and all his household gave alms and prayed continually. So this is an individual who is definitely a Gentile. He's not a Jew. But he's in the synagogue and he's praying and he's given alms. But he's a centurion. He's over about a hundred men. What's he doing in the synagogue? How is this possible? Because also what we see is that those who are sent later from Cornelius in verse 22, they say... Cornelius, a God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. So we know there's something connected with why he's there in the synagogue. 
a lot of times during this period when Cornelius was over certain regiments, just like this man, a lot of Roman soldiers would pursue faith in other religions. They would be searching. So we call Cornelius a seeker. Definitely a seeker. But there's two characteristics about Cornelius that we need to understand here. Is that he feared or three feared God with all his household. So not just his children and his wife and his his mother and his father, but we're talking about his slaves, we're talking about his servants, attendants, we're talking about everybody. So it's a wealthy man who has a wealthy history within the Roman army, but also gave alms generously and prayed continually. So what F.F. Bruce would call the man only lacked one thing, the circumcision, physical circumcision that will qualify him as a true Jew. So this is a man who's definitely seeking and is definitely being looked upon by the Jewish nation as an individual whom we respect, but he could still keep himself over there because he physically is not one of us. Also by blood. So then we see here, the verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror. So we know that wasn't that soft spoken voice of Cornelius. You know, it was a Cornelius, you know, and where did that come from? And poof, the angel's there. And so he says, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. So let's stop here. He goes to the ninth hour in uh, the Chronos the or the uh, the way that schedule of hours during this time when it says ninth hour didn't mean nine o'clock in the morning. It was just the ninth hour of daylight. So the ninth hour of daylight would be considered around. Let's see here. I'd say about 3 p.m., 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So because of that, this was also the Jewish prayer time. So this is a man who's also continually praying every single day, very dedicated towards praying and seeking the Lord. Is that something that's characteristic of you? That Not necessarily that you have to pray five times a day uh, in order to attain your salvation, but that you really have a consistent prayer life. That you're really dedicated towards God and seeking the Lord. And this is something Cornelius is doing and he doesn't have faith in God yet. So then the angel comes and says, your prayers and your alms. So you're giving generously and your prayers, they've ascended to God as a memorial. What would that mean? Is that all those things that he's doing, it's not so much that... He knows conscientiously that I'm seeking to attain the favor of God, but God knows and hears the prayers of people. And what God is wanting to do, what God is wanting to do, is to connect Cornelius with those works through faith. Because that was the one thing he was lacking. As it says in Acts 15 verse 9, the key thing is that, I mean, the Holy Spirit made no distinction between us and them by having cleansed their hearts by faith. His heart was still not cleansed by faith. So if your heart has not been cleansed by faith, and you do things thinking that you are attaining salvation, you are just doing good works. There's nothing there except good works. There's no true, real purpose. And having your heart cleansed by faith gives those good works purpose. So as Ephesians talks about in Ephesians 2, it says very plainly and clearly that 
in verse 10, for we were his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But the part before that is that for by grace you have been saved. So we need to get the indicatives and the imperatives. Indicatives, what I mean by that is that the truths of God and imperatives mean the commands of God. We don't want to switch the two around where we start thinking, if I do these things, then this will prove true that I'm saved. No, the gospel is it's that Jesus has done in your place for your sins what you can never do, and because of that, obey. And you are accepted and therefore obey versus obeying and then being accepted. We don't want to switch the two around. And so what what Cornelius is doing is without even knowing about it, he's trying to seek God, but through the traditions and rituals and commands. Only the Jewish tradition. Not necessary of God. And what God is going to do, what God will do, is save him from his sins, cleansing his heart so he can connect the two things together. So, five. And now send, and the angel says, Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon and Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. So when we ended chapter 9, remember we saw Peter, who stayed after the healing of Dorcas. He stayed with Simon and Tanner. Now, Simon and Tanner is an individual who works with skin, so he's working with dead animals. So the thing that we need to notice here is that Peter stayed with an individual who's dealing with dead animals all the time. And if you're a Jew, you just don't do that. You just don't hang around a lot of unclean things. And that's a very unclean thing. But we know that God has been doing a great work in Peter's life ever since he put his foot in his mouth all the time with Jesus and then denying Jesus three times and then being humbled by Jesus, by Jesus restoring him before Jesus ascends. Peter has always been a work in progress. And so if you think to yourself, God, how can you use me again after I've screwed up so many times? Just think about Peter because he's pretty much our great help right there. So... He says, he's lodging with Simon the Tanner. And when the angel spoke to him at the party, he called two of his servants, Cornelius did, and a devout soldier from among those who tended him. And having relayed everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So that's the first day right there. He's being, everything's going. That's Cornelius' vision. He has a vision from the angel, and he's obeying. But notice, the angel doesn't reveal the gospel to Peter. The importance of the messenger can be seen right here. You know, I think about as we pray for the Muslim world and we pray for other nations where uh, Islam is predominant, I think, are we praying for these Muslims to have visions and dreams about the Son of God? Visions and dreams about something different than, than Islam. Having visions and dreams about a messenger coming to give them a message. Because those things truly happen. And are we praying for the messenger to go and to deliver that message? Here we see in verse 9, Peter's vision. This is the second part of the, the, the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit. And the church and the mission of God going to the Gentiles. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city... Peter went up on the housetop about six hours to pray. So it's about noon. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Probably physically in a trance also, but 
fell into a trance by God's design and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet uh, descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. And what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up once to heaven. So let's stop right here. This is Peter's vision. Uh, if you were Peter, I guarantee you, you'd be freaking out that a sheet that was laying on your bed is now filled with all sorts of animals and birds and reptiles. And a voice comes and says, rise, kill, and eat. But for Peter, a couple reasons why this was shocking to him and perplexing and confusing one is, he's being told to rise, kill, and eat animals that were considered impure in Levitical law. When you look at Leviticus 2, uh, God had given Moses and Aaron specific rules and regulations for what types of animals they could eat and not eat. What animals would be considered pure and not pure. Kind of like how you eat an animal. I mean, you just don't eat the animal with fur on I mean, when you go to the supermarket, and if you were to see a hoof sticking out of one of the pieces of meat that you're purchasing with hair on it, I mean, you probably think to yourself, this is really gross. One. Number two, somebody's been fired for this. And three, there's got to be other cases where there's a hoof or hair or something. I got a newsletter from another missionary, and she was listening now how thankful she was for everything that she experienced and it was sort of sarcastic, meaning I'm so thankful I had to wait in 20, 20 minutes in line for something that really takes two minutes. But the idea was that she needed to remain thankful, even for the meat and the soup that she ate that had that fur still on it. I mean, it was just gross, but anyway, she had been redeemed in Christ, so it didn't matter. But the point being is that in this period of time, and for Peter to understand the rules and regulations behind clean and unclean animals... And then being told to rise, kill, and eat was very confusing to Peter. He just wasn't getting it. Because, he says, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So in Peter's mind, he's just talking about food. He's just talking about things that you put in your mouth. But do you remember in Matthew 7, Jesus says, it's not what you put in your mouth that's is clean and unclean, it's what comes out. So... You forgot that one. But that's okay. Peter forgot a lot of things. And we'll see again how he did that. But the second time the voice says, What God has made clean do not call common. So Peter's still sitting there thinking, I still don't get it. I mean, how would you make this reptile clean? Or how did you make this type of animal clean? I don't understand. But he will. So this happened three times. So if you didn't get it, Peter, I'm still going to do the vision. So it's like the sheep coming you know, just a complete rewind, play, rewind. So in 17, here's what happens. Because remember, Cornelius got his vision. And so we're trying to connect the two visions together through the Holy Spirit's power. And then 17, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate 
and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, and a God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. So there's the confirmation of Cornelius' vision right there already coming to play, is that Peter is beginning to see some pieces come together. But he doesn't get, though, what the voice was saying when it said, what God has made clean, do not call common. But here's something you need to notice in verse 23. God has been working and softening Peter's heart continuously. But look at 23. So he invites them in to be his guests. These are Gentiles that are coming into a Jewish home. But only through the power of the gospel can two ethnic groups that don't talk to each other, don't have anything to do with each other, start reconciling with one another. You know, that really reminds me of something because I'm about to go home to my family and our extended family. You know, it's only the gospel that can overcome even familial strongholds and barriers. Maybe there's an aunt or an uncle or there's a, a set of grand, or maybe a father or mother that you don't talk to very much. Maybe there's somebody in your family that you really, really, really just have a hard time dealing with. You know, it's only through the power of the gospel can you really, truly overcome those barriers. Maybe there's somebody that you have a friendship with. You are very close and you wore each other's clothes. But you, you get what I'm saying. The, the idea is, though, that now you're not. But only through the power of the gospel can those barriers be overcome. And we need to pray and ask the Lord to reveal to us how we can change and how the gospel can break those barriers down for His glory. So the next day, Peter rises and went away with him. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So Peter goes and he says, you know, I'm kind of skeptical even though I still got a vision. So that's weird. But... He still says, you know what, I'm going to take some people with me. In chapter 11, you'll see that there are about six people that went. So about ten people total. So this is the second day. Uh, they go. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. So probably there's about four days, more or less. So when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up. I, too, am a man. Now, what's the main point, main idea? Why does Cornelius fall at Peter's feet? Because Cornelius knows, I've got a vision. I'm a seeker. And I finally have a man that's supposed to deliver a message for me. So he wasn't treating Peter as a god, per se. He was just looking at him as a messenger from God, deserving respect. And I think Peter, what he was reiterating to Cornelius was, I'm a man. I'm known to be worshipped. So there's two things that are taking place. One is, the gospel is transforming Peter's heart so that he helps Cornelius know and understand, I'm nobody special, just like you because of the gospel, but as well, you're not a dog anymore in my eyes. You're a Gentile, but you're not a dog. 
And so, at verse 27, as it says, And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. So Cornelius called everybody together. His whole household. All servants, all his attendants, all his uh, grandparents, all of his wife's grandparents, all of his wife's family, called everybody together because this is an important message. This is something that they've all been looking for, for fulfillment. And it says in verse 28, And Peter said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So there's our final understanding from Peter's mouth. He gets it. He gets it. It's not about food. It's about peoples that God has created for His glory from every tongue and tribe and nation. You know, I don't know any of your histories that deep to know whether or not you've ever had ethnic or uh, ethnocentrism or racism or classism or any other schism that you can think of, but we've all, at one point or time, even maybe this recent week, experienced those types of feelings that we have. And you know, those feelings are sinful. They come from a heart that says, I'm better than you. That I have it all together. But the gospel destroys all those things. And makes us one in Christ. And also gives us a heart of compassion for those groups. So perhaps you need to pray and ask the Lord to reveal areas. If that's something you struggle with. Just racism or ethnocentrism or classism. Looking down on those because of their bloodline or their skin color. Or because they're from a, they act a certain way. Or because they are, don't have as much money. Or perhaps they have more money than you. I think it goes both ways. Uh, people tend to look at people who look down on others with classes and say, well, you just have more money than them. Well, I think it could go the other way and say, well, you're just mad because they have money. It all comes from covetousness. We, we desire something that's not ours. That God hasn't given us. Instead of being thankful for who we are in Christ and what God has given us. And it really points back to that. So the gospel uh, changes and transforms Peter's heart to know that he should not call any person common or unclean. And what we're going to understand next is why he would do that, call someone common or unclean. So 29, so when I was sent for, I came without objection and I asked him why he sent for me. So he doesn't really get completely why he's supposed to be there. And here's Cornelius. And he says, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house about the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been answered. Your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Job and ask for a sign. He's called Peter. He's lodged in the house of Simon and Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have now been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God here all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. So we understand that uh, the reason I don't call anybody common or clean is because I don't call them unfit to hear the message of the gospel. I don't call them unfit to hear the message of salvation in Christ. So what does he do? He opens his mouth and declares the message of Jesus 
this household full of Gentiles. Something else that in Jewish law you weren't supposed to do, not just eat uh, unclean things, but you weren't supposed to eat with those who ate those unclean things. It's very interesting that Peter learned this lesson in uh, Acts 10 right here, but also understanding what the main purpose was, which was to declare the message of the gospel. So here he does it. 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus, he is Lord of all, throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. In verse 38, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So here he preaches the gospel, beginning from the baptism of John all the way to his resurrection. But we understand too that... Peter puts in there, inserts key elements. Jesus' ministry, perfect ministry, perfect life, perfect death. Hanging on a tree, crucified by sinners just like you and me. And also testifying why the fact that he died for us and for our sins. But also that Christ would be the judge of the living and the dead. And so the main thrust and purpose so that... All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So the gospel is gone to the Gentiles finally. After being bridged from the Samaritans, the gospel finally comes to the Gentiles and they understand the message and the hope. So what happens next? In verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised uh, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? Immersion, immersion, not sprinkling. These people who had received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then, the Gentiles meaning, they asked him to remain for some days. So the Holy Spirit falls finally on the Gentiles. Finally, the Holy Spirit has come to the Gentile nation, through the house of Cornelius. Them all receiving the forgiveness of sins. They're, they, they've finally been able to connect. Why are we doing these good works? Why are we praying? Why are we doing all these things? It's the feeling that I have faith in Christ. My heart has been cleansed by faith through God's work, through the Holy Spirit. That's why we pray for people to know the gospel, to know the message, is that we can help them connect why they think they're a good person with who really is the good person, who is the perfect one, Jesus Christ, having their hearts cleansed by faith. 
I have a, a relationship with this guy that I've been talking to for over almost two years, and he still thinks I have to have this feeling in order to know what I'm doing is of God, these good works that I do. And I said, brother, you just need to know the basic things, which is just putting your faith and trust and the forgiveness of sins in Christ alone and knowing that. And knowing that's the feeling you need is that the only hope you can ever, ever have is your faith in Jesus Christ and not what you do, but what Christ has done. That's what makes faith so real and so rich. And here Peter begins to see. Notice the two things here is that Peter, in the circumcised party, those three or four that he brought, they're amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles just like it did on the Jews. And they're not circumcised. So what's going on here? And then they imagine this. They say to themselves, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Can't. It can't happen. They can't withhold water. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is coming upon them to the Gentiles. And they're not going to oppose God either. So just in simple terms... Is that there's only one pat, one baptism, one faith, one Lord of all. Bob and I have studied that today in Ephesians. In Ephesians 3, 4, excuse me, it says here that Paul writes to the Ephesians because they love knowledge, but they don't like to love other people. It's interesting. But he says, I'm eager, I hope and pray that you be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, as you recall, one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. What's he referring to? It's the one baptism that prepares you to know the one Lord and one Spirit who is Lord over all. And here, as we saw in Acts 10, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles so that they would know the riches and majesty and power of God that connects what they're doing to what's already been done. And that's important. And you know, Peter, as we end today, Peter... He, he didn't still even understand that what God has made, uh, do not call common what God has made clean. Do not call what uh, is unclean in your eyes dirty and unacceptable. Because of the fact, in Galatians 2, or Galatians 3, excuse me, we find Paul who connects with Peter in Antioch, and Peter still forgot that lesson. Because what he does is, there's people eating at a table who aren't circumcised. And so what does Peter do? Because he fears not God, he fears the Jews more than he fears God. He shies away from eating with the non-circumcised party. And he goes to the circumcised. And Paul, what does he do? In the power of the gospel, and the hope of the gospel, he looks at Peter and says... Uh, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Uh, you have been made one with these uncircumcised brethren in Christ. That barrier has been destroyed. Uh, eat with them. That's ridiculous. It's as if you Brazilians won't eat with Argentinians for whatever reason. And you decide not to eat with other Argentinian Christians because of uh, you, all the image you think of uh, Maradona and um, uh, you think of all the other images of soccer, but you can't get over that because uh, of sin versus understanding that the gospel has broken down those barriers of language, culture, ethnicity, all those things you're all one in Christ. It doesn't take away distinctions. Some people say, oh, one in Christ. 
So that means we all need to act the same. It's so ridiculous. We don't want to act the same. We want to act one in Christ, but express that differently. And that's okay. That's okay. Because when we start acting, trying to act the same, what we're basically saying to people is, if you dress like me, you talk like me, you think like me, you have the same theology as me, that must mean you're a Christian. And that's what the Jews are trying to do later in Acts 11. We'll talk about next week is, they're saying... They need to act like Jews. Cut off the foreskin. Get it on. That's not the truth right there, folks. We act like Jesus. We want people to follow Jesus Christ. Not follow more traditions, more rules, more things. We want them to follow Jesus. Now, there is some benefit, folks. There's some benefit in having convictions. And having a way of doing things that would help everyone grow in Christ. But we don't worship Rules. We don't worship traditions. We don't worship legalism. We worship Jesus. And Jesus needs to be the primary thing. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father, all working together in unison, want to do transformation and seeing the Holy Spirit go to places like Iran, like Iraq, like Morocco, even in Mali. And God wants to see work being done amongst through the Holy Spirit's power. So we need to pray for that. So think about three things right now as we apply this. One is, where in your heart do you sense racism, ethnocentrism, uh, maybe classism, where you look down on somebody or because they have more money than you or less money? Second thing is, let's apply where in your heart of hearts have you prayed about being a messenger to someone about the gospel, whether it's locally or globally. And we need to pray that God would send messengers and that people in the Muslim world or in other places would have dreams and visions and a desire to hear and know the gospel message. Just like Cornelius, the seekers who've been looking, walking around, doing the right things, but not knowing why they're doing the right things, but just walking around, but need to hear the message of the gospel to put reason in line and hope what they're doing. So let's pray right now. God, thank you for just the gospel and the hope we have and the message of truth that we have in Christ. And I pray that you would help us apply this message to our lives. Lord, we need to, to know you more. So let's just take the next three, four minutes right now just to pray and apply this message. God, reveal in our hearts where we need to repent of sin, but also trust in you more. ask for your grace and your mercy to supersede all our desires, to take over, reign supreme over all things. And Lord, we do ask and pray that 
as we seek to know you and grow in the gospel, you would transform our thinking, transform our lives so that we can be conformed to your likeness. God, I pray that you would mold and shape our hearts to love you more than we love ourselves. Father, I pray that you would just forgive us of those moments when we don't want to share the gospel, don't want to be kind, don't want to express the gospel because we look at somebody differently, they have a different skin color, or they come from a different ethnic background, or they do things differently, or they just dress differently. I pray that God, you would just forgive us. Lord, we need to be kind and reach out to those for your glory and for your fame and not for ours. So Lord, we pray for the Muslim world right now, specifically. We ask and pray, God, that you would want, you would desire that, God, you would just send out laborers, God, to the fields. You would send out messengers, Father, and then you would give the Muslim world, Father, many peoples, billions of people, Father, just dreams and visions about a messenger, someone who could bring the message and help with the gospel. And we just pray that, God, that the Muslim world would say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Father, we pray and ask that you would do this work. Transform us here and transform those around the world as you transform us here. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, everyone, have a great week. And remember, announcements that Lucas asked you to share any announcements. Yeah, he asked me to share one. Excuse me, real quick. Not this Saturday, but next Saturday. So I guess stop with the I guess it would be the 15th or 16th. 16th. 17th. Not giving to days, but... So, what we want to do, really very quickly, is we want to have a international game time. Uh, I'm not going to say Portuguese. But we want to have an international game time with like uh, all sorts of stuff. We have it this decided the location yet, so we're still talking about it. So we don't know. But what we want to do is we don't want it to be just about all of us getting together and playing games together. What we want to do is we want to use it as an outreach. And so we want to invite people who don't know Jesus Christ, who want to speak English, who want to learn how to play games, and that's the main reason. We're not going to be doing what we call a bait and switch, where you know, they come to the game, and then I'm going to get up and do a 40-minute sermon. That's not what we're going to do. We're just building relationships, getting to know the community, and if there's an opportunity for that, you need to take that opportunity, but we want to use it as an outreach, as an event to sort of reach people for Christ. So uh, just be thinking about that, and look on the Facebook. I think there's going to be a page being developed, either today or tomorrow, an event. an event page. So you can look at it. It will be connected to the I3C page. Or the ITC website. The word Facebook. Facebook page. Okay, I think that's it. Oh, wait a minute. And we want to do a international dinner, dinner the next day. The next day. On the 17th. So that... Details to come. Details to come. So just check the Facebook. <laughs> All right. God bless. Have a great and blessed week. Thank you too.